Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life. It's got my blog, which I do thrice weekly. I write about the intersection of creativity in everyday life. Yes, I do. Uh, we've also got video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres, including my conversation with Sheila Bender, the wonderful memoirist and poet and personal essayist. Yeah, that's on there now. Get into some really interesting stuff about the memoir and the personal essay and teaching and uh, just the, the unique challenge of writing about your own life and making it something that is relatable to everybody. Just something we're going to be talking about today, I think. Uh, so check it out, authormagazine.org. We're also funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association, who have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Yes, they have been. Uh, we're here in the Northwest, but you can still, if you know, we have these meetings once a month, give or take, where writer, authors, and publishing professionals come and give little uh, talks about the writing world. And uh, if you're a member of the PNWA, but you can't make it to one of those, or maybe you've moved out of state, it doesn't matter. You can still attend those little lectures virtually. That's right. We want to take care of you no matter where you are. That's what the PNWA does. We also have a conference every year the PNWA does in September. Here in, and it's a good one. Yes, it is. And, and it's already people are starting to sign up for it. The earlier you sign up, the less it costs, and the more agents and editors you get to pitch if that's something you want to do. Already people are doing it. If you want to learn about the PNWA, some of the class, I'm teaching a class right now in personal essays, for instance, at the, at the, uh, at the home office in Issaquah, Washington. If you would like to uh, learn more about the PNWA, which I encourage you to do, you should go to pnwa.org. Yes, you should. Okay. Where am I going to be? Where I'm tell you where I'm going to be, San Diego, pretty soon, end of the month. I'm going to be down there teaching at the San Diego Writers Conference, Fearless Writing, and also talking about the memoir. That's what I'm going to be doing. I think uh, Corey Doctorow, the young adult author, wonderful guy, interesting guy, he's going to be there. Uh, that's the only other person I know is going to be there besides me, but lots of good people, I'm sure. And if you happen to be there, great. Maybe we'll get to talk. Maybe we'll get to talk. Speaking of Writers Conference, that's where I met today's guest, Betsy Bell. It's kind of a full circle moment, which I'll get into in a moment. But Betsy, who might, was born before World War II, she's giving her age away. But she is, that's, her, that's her choice. Uh, in New York City, she actually spent her formative years in the Jim Crow town of Muskogee, Muskogee, <laughs> Muskogee Oklahoma. But she got started on activism right away. In fact, as a Girl Scout, she worked with a biracial team to integrate public schools after that 1954 Supreme Court decision, uh, you know, ending school segregation. Uh, she eventually went, went to Camp Lawrence, Kansas, where she started an academic career, and she advocated for reproductive rights with Planned Parenthood. But now she's in Seattle, and she's had all kinds of careers. She's twice widowed, but she's an author of two short memoirs, several poems. One of those memoirs, fascinating book called Open Borders, a personal story of love loss, and anti-war activism. Let's talk to Betsy, shall we? Betsy, how you doing? Hello there. <laughs> so, Hello there, Bill. How are you? It's, I'm doing 
great. How about you? How, you, how are you feeling three months in, I think it's been since, uh, or three or three and a half months since Open Borders was published? How's it going? It's been a fascinating experience. Uh, I have been very, become, I have become active with the Washington Physicians for Social Responsibility. And uh, because of my book, uh, they've invited me to be on their task force for the future planning. And if all goes well, um, this book of mine might be a catalyst for energizing more people around the country to take, an action, to take act, action against the proliferation of more nuclear weapons, which is uh, it's sort of like we're, we're, on the, we're on the brink of a brand new Cold War escalation of nuclear weapons around the world. And um, I'm hoping this book is going to be a catalyst for people to well, be re-engage. It's, quite, it's yeah. quite interesting timing with the writing of it. And I, and I know um, that initially just the writing, wanting to tell your story was not tied way to what was happening politically, at least that I could tell when I first met you. And I should say, so I actually met Betsy, uh, I don't know how many years, how many, was it three or four, how, was it three years ago? About, about, about maybe four years ago at one well, yeah. PNWA writer, yeah. Writers Conference. Yeah, yeah you, took, you were offering a class on memoir and um, yeah. I came and took it and was fascinated by the other students and, and your ideas. And um, I, the reason I chose to start with this this particular segment of my life in all the writing I've been doing on memoir is because of its timeliness. And ah. it's a, it incorporates a, it incorporates a 10 year period. And yep. with a few, to, you know, to create the, the narrative arc for my own personal development within the context of the a political atmosphere and the action activities that were engaged were being engaged in 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 seattle and around washington state it it formed a perfect frame for one segment and you know once you're once you have your framework your your um narrative period the narrative the narrative time period it's pretty easy then you can do a few flashbacks to get the background in uh, without yeah. having to um, kind of get, get, lose the reader as they're trying to follow along with what your what your story is. Yeah. Well, let's see. Let's tell let's tell the the, the listeners a bit about that story. Uh, it's it's fascinating because it it starts in 1983. I think it was three where you you and your mm-hmm. husband yes. do a very brave thing. <laughs> I thought, but uh, <laughs> go to to Russia. So t- tell us about the. The, the general, what this, what this story covers, that 10-year covers. Well, you know, in Seattle in 1981, the first Trident submarine arrived. Right. In our, to, to, and now there are eight, which is really scary. And a Trident, I'm just so going to, a Trident submarine, Trident, hold on, just a sec. The Trident, a Trident submarine is a nuclear, it's a nuclear right. submarine. It's got enough firepower in one of those submarines to destroy pretty much everything. Right, right. And okay. um, right. it was so it part of up. our, it's part of our response to, to Russia and the U, the USSR. So yeah. in in this, in Seattle area, children, our children were doing duck and cover practice, and people were building fallout shelters and in the downtown 80s? buildings had the three triangles looking down, and and there was words on all the major downtown buildings fallout shelter. Wow. So it was 
it was a very frightening time. And um, one of the, in my research, I've found a few ghost leftover signs on buildings around yeah. Seattle. Oh, that's so cool. With the, with the old. You know what's weird, Patsy? <laughs> if I could just, because I was in 1981, two, three, I was in high school. That's when I was a teenager. And to me, right. the duck and cover, the, uh, you know, the, the fallout thing, that was a, a, a relic of the 50s and 60s. I mean, I grew up certainly with the, with the specter of nuclear war hanging over my life. We all, my, my generation thought it could yeah. all come, especially when Reagan was elected, we all felt like, God, this could be it. But the sort of like, it's in your face stuff, that felt like from the 50s and 60s, like I said, but I didn't realize that in Seattle, that was still going on because of, because of, that, it was, had it, well, had it restarted or did it just, or did it, uh, had it always been going on? No, I, I, you know, um, Seattle's a backwater. We didn't really feel much um, concern yeah. for all this until the, until the Trident submarine showed up. Right. Okay. And then okay. it was like uh, yeah. the nightmares we got real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, sure. it, and people start. People got together. There was the Plowshares, which was the Return Peace Corps volunteers, uh, started an organization called Plowshares in the fifties, and then. The Physicians for Social Responsibility got started with Helen Caldicott from Australia, who was a pediatrician on the circuit talking about what happens to the human body when there's nuclear fallout. And then there were the Mennonites who wanted the um, unilateral freeze campaign, unilateral disarmament. There's a huge movement in in England and uh, on the continent of Europe against all this proliferation, but we in Seattle suddenly felt it was right here. We were the, a target. Right. Because you really, of the yeah, it's just close, summary. so much we closer to home for you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right out, out, all the way out here in the Pacific Northwest where nothing yeah. much happens in those days. <laughs> right. We were suddenly a target. And um, what happened was a, a, a number of people kind of got together and started talking, what should we do? What should we do? And, my husband was one of those, along with other university professors and some doctors and lawyers and the YMCA, the International Office for the YMCA, and Kay Bullitt, who was the Bullitt family owned King Television. Yeah. And um, she was a catalyst for many, many social justice activities in Seattle. Uh, Kay is now 95 years old and still um, takes a great deal of interest in the type still of activity ticket. that... Yeah, she's she's an amazing woman, That's one great. of my heroes in life. <laughs> right. So we all we all got together in Cable's living room, and um, the gathered group decided that we were going to have a educational event in Seattle at the university and downtown for a whole week to discuss other possible ways of avoiding nuclear war besides <laughs> I, just peace through strength, which of course was right. That was. Point of yeah, view. that's what we were doing. That's what the country was all about then. Peace, yeah. peace through strength, yeah. Yeah. So um, when, when these uh, educational activities were taking place, about 45,000 people were impa- impacted by the tar- what, what we call Target Seattle, preventing yeah. nuclear war. And then a year later, Target Seattle, what about the Russians? 
And right. these two uh, educational weeks, one in 82 and the other one in 83, we, in 82 we passed around this love letter that friends of mine wrote to people in the Soviet Union saying, you know, we love our country and we love our children and our grandchildren and we know you love yours and your children and your grandchildren and we would like to work with you to prevent nuclear war. And this letter was printed, we have about 3,000 copies, and there were lines on the bottom of each one of them, and children, school children, people all over at all these different events signed these letters. Right. And, yeah, and then at the bottom of each letter, it says, we, this letter will be delivered to, some, to people in the Soviet Union, and especially what? to people in our sister city, Tashkent. Right. So that's the quite a promise, you know, and that's a long way away, and it's behind it's the iron curtain. Work. And how, yeah. How are we going to get it there? Yeah. And you said, if you want something so, done right, you got to do it yourself. <laughs> exactly. So the the story opens with um, us, my husband and me, with and our daughter packing our suitcases and carrying um, a, a Manila envelope with about a hundred copies of this yeah. letter in each one of our suitcases. And you're going, we, so you're this, going yourself, you and your husband and some other people are actually going to go behind the iron curtain. And yeah. this is 1983 and things there had, you know, perestroika had not happened. It was still, the curtain no. was closed. It was really, well, really the height of the cold yeah. war. Reagan, Reagan delivered his evil empire speech to the evangelical um, prayer breakfast. Right. On, on, on March 9th, 9th of 1983, and we left wow. the country for the Soviet Union a few days after that. Oh, my God. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, nice. So you show up so arriving. First, yeah. Oh, that's what you've got is your tailwind for you. Okay, so you show up there, yeah. and, you're in, and, you've, and you've got some contraband. We, we can't get into the whole story, but you've got some letters that you maybe shouldn't have brought with you, but you brought anyway. And, yes, um, yes. And you're there, so you're actually in. And so the interesting part of the story, so you go to Russia and you deliver these, and it tells that, and then, of course, it carries on for the years afterwards. But one of the interesting things about the story is you have to balance the story of what was happening uh, politically and cult socially, but there's also your own yes. personal journey. Uh, as as yes. it says in the subtitles, love, loss, and, and anti-war activism. And so talk to me about the decisions you had to make uh, about how much of this is about your own change and how much of this is about you trying to affect change in the world? Is, well, I, here's, here's how that goes. In the beginning, my husband was in, fully in charge and I was just following along. Right. So the arguments we had were um, mostly about my desire to take these two contraband, these two totally, totally illegal letters to Jews yeah. who were called refuseniks. Then, and then, so we have the trip, and we're, at the end of the trip, I am sort of seized with two things. First of all, I, I want, I'm very, very um, changed by this trip and feel sure. that our government is just in keeping us from get, making friends with people across the Iron Curtain, and, and that's the only way we're going to, right. to actually make a change. But, you know, I have to just say, insert here, when we got there, the vice uh, chairman, the vice mayor in Tashkent, right. which is our sister city, 
said to us, we've been waiting for you a long time. Thank goodness yeah. you finally come. Wow. My husband and my sons were both killed in the war. I don't want my grandchildren to be killed in the war. I wow. mean, this, when we, you know, on the ground, people were embraced us right. for coming. So, right. so I was very caught up by that, and I decided that I was on my own. I was going to go and do some more lobbying in Washington, D.C., without my husband, and this was a very sort of a a courageous yeah. take, take, my, take my own ideas. And, I, you know, I was so naive. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have very sure. good audiences. Um, Mike Lowry, our wonderful, um, our wonderful representative from the, our, our district here, seven, yeah. was one, very hospitable. But the others, you know, um, Slade Gordon and um, what's his name? Um, <laughs> our other oh, Ma- Maggie, yeah. Magnuson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Magnuson. They they were completely negative about any right. changes or any relaxation of any rules at all. Right. So um, it was it was a terrifying experience to go back to Washington on my own and knock on doors and walk in and talk to people. <laughs> right. so and I you know I gained in well I gained self confidence in that and. Uh, sure. Then when I came back, I was walking, working with this. I took it upon myself to work with our young photographer who had created this, inc- who was in the process of creating a wonderful slideshow. So, again, that was kind of my push and my effort to help him get this thing. I bought the equipment for him. It took a lot of um, – we, <laughs> we didn't have DVDs in those days. We didn't have di- anything no. digital. We had to have no. – six slide trays and two projectors and a dissolved unit and all this stuff. And to learn how to put on a program with these, with these slideshows was just a big effort for me. It's a technologically challenging effort. And then a friend uh, of, a friend of his and I, we decided to go back to Washington DC and and show it in the rotunda of the the Capitol building. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And so let me ask you something. So the, you had this great experience and, you know, you, and this is really a time in your life where a big change is happening for you. I mean, you've, I mean, yeah. changes just keep happening and happening, but this is one of the big ones because it has to do with finding your own voice. And so right. there's that experience. And, um, but then there's the writing about it. And yes. I, you know, I write about my own life all the time. That's what I do. And nothing happens to me, yes. Betsy, but it doesn't matter. Yes. I keep writing about it. And so I always find that it's the discovery in the writing that excites me, even though I'm writing about stuff I've done and I remember. So as you wrote about this, what, if anything, did you discover in the telling of the story that maybe you weren't as aware of before? Ah, uh, for him, about myself? About anything. I don't know. As you tell about it, anything. Oh. About anything. As you wrote it, what, what did you begin, what did you discover? I mean, yeah, about yourself, I guess, but just the story itself. What came to you that you didn't know, that you hadn't thought of until you began to write about it? I guess, I guess what I really discovered what, that I, was that I do, do have a voice, that, uh-huh. that I had a strong voice, and that I was yeah. capable of delivering a message. Right. Uh, which and and uh, the the exciting thing about publishing this book has been giving talks and at the university bookstore and uh, and, and my local bank here in West Seattle invited me to present the book 
And then after hours, wine and cheese. What? <laughs> yes. The Home Street Bank. Home oh, Street Bank is so in, yeah. they're so involved in the community. And I had wow. about 15 people show up and no listen way. to me give a talk on this. You know, All right. I so mean, for our listeners, 15 people at a book event is good. <laughs> That's, I've seen a lot yes. less for a lot more famous yeah. writers. Okay. So you, and, and, and not yeah. at bank, by the way. Oh well, that is great. No, so you, I know. Can you can you believe that a, a that a, a bank would actually say, well, one of our favorite customers is a published author. We should celebrate her and invite oh my, my bank has never asked me to come and give a talk there. All right. Well, all right. So you've gone out and you've been talking to people. And so when you go out, because you know this is something. On the one hand, the Cold War and the '80s and that dynamic was like all times particular to its time it had its own dynamic reagan was who he was the russia was what it was and things have changed now there's obviously now some overlap as you mentioned earlier but you are talking about a different time and a lot has changed yes how when you go out and give your talks do you is it a history lesson or is it this is relevant today because what's your angle on that both both Both. first of all i i have a slideshow for about 10, a little less than 10 minutes to remind yeah. people what the Cold War was. Looked like, yeah. From, from 1945, when Russia and the United States were friends because we had just beat the Axis, right. Axis powers. Yeah. And to the end, to, to, I mean, you know, and, to, and then within six months, we were disagreeing with each other on we both sides. We weren't friends anymore. That was fast. No, we weren't friends anymore. It, just, it only took six months for us to realize yeah, we weren't friends. Right. <laughs> right. But and then, but but it's very relevant today. And the, the, to me, the relevance is uh, for people to look at their fear and examine um, how their what what kind of denial we're all living in. Wow. And to take and to instead of being a terrified denier of the possibilities of nuclear 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 catastrophe, why not? Why not take action? Why not find ways of going beyond our borders and making friends with people that I mean, why not? Why not? Let's organize. Let's organize a group and go to Iran. Rick Steves did. And he had a great time and people loved meeting him. Yeah. Let's let's go to Pakistan. Let's go to North Korea. Oh, that's not. So I mean, easy. how scary is that? <laughs> North Korea is not so easy. That would be an interesting feat if you could pull that one off. It, but there, you know, there are tour companies that will take you there and what? bring you home safely. It, seriously? Yes, there are. I did yes, not know seriously, that. I have looked them up. I don't know. I have looked you them know, up. You know, Betsy, that would be a trip I'd be a little scared to take. <laughs> I have to admit, of all of them, <laughs> it's North Korea. Uh, I have a friend who's Korean, and he anyway he told me a story about it, and it scared me a little bit. Uh, but but it's, so here's it is story. scary. But you know, it's it's no more scary than walking in the Amazon jungle where you don't touch anything. You walk well, very carefully, you, <laughs> which I'm sure is what you do when you go to North Korea. <laughs> yeah, well, no kidding. Don't touch well, anything, and don't take any pictures. Uh, well, so I, it must have been very profound for you although not surprising, but profound nonetheless, where, you know, you grow up and, and you're a child born, you're a baby boomer and, uh, well, a little pre-baby boomer, actually. And you've heard the rhetoric, heard the rhetoric about the Russians. And then it's, then you know, Reagan and the evil empire and all that stuff and the Bay of Pigs and all that stuff. And you know, they're just people over there. 
But you know, yep. but it's another thing to go there and cross the border, as it were, yep. and actually meet the humans, the faces behind the sort of all the propaganda, right? That must have been profound yep. to put the human face to it. It's tremendous. It's tremendously profound. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quick little it, story about this. Yeah. There's a yeah, there's yeah. a professor at the University of Washington right now who's she is Russian born. Her, uh-huh. She's in her fifties. Her family grew. She grew up in the nuclear submarine construction town in the Soviet Union, up wow. in the Bering Sea. All right. And she watched. She watched the space bridge, the the joint television program between. Seattle King 5 and Gasto Radio, which is in Leningrad, which is now, of course, St. Petersburg. Right. Live audiences in both places talking to each other through interpreters uh-huh. with two hosts, Phil, Phil Donahue and Prose Posner in Russia. Yep. This young woman, she was only 11 years old when she watched the show cool and saw that? That in Seattle, people could be outside of King Television Studio protesting against having any contact with Russia. Right. She, as an 11-year-old, she said, they are free to protest. Right. It's a big deal. It's a this, big deal. This, so, yeah. So, um, this is what I'm saying. We, we, need to, we need to know these people who are... Who are, who are presented to us by our government as being evil and yeah. terrible. We need to we I need know. to know them, and they need to know us. Of course, because they will see that we are warm, friendly, children loving people. I know, people is people <laughs> is people. It's true, it's true. Yeah. Uh, we have met the enemy and we are him. What's the what's the line from poker? We have met the enemy and he is us. I forget the. I forget what the exact quote is. Always one I don't know that line. <laughs> no, it's a good one. So yes, I, I and and so when you asked me what I learned, what I discovered about myself, I, I discovered, I discovered that I have a voice, yeah. and that it's worth, um, it's worth expressing myself in the public, and yeah. and not don't be so self-effacing. I mean, I'm very humbled. I'm very humbled by this I whole know. experience. It's pretty awesome. Very humbled. But right. I, and I, so I don't I don't say that with any, with any kind of uh, ego involved. It's just it's just a discovery, and it's yeah. and I need to step up to the plate and, and use my voice. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing thing, and we all do have voices, and a lot of people yep. feel silenced. But I will tell you, as someone yes. who tries to help people learn to use their voice, no one is more effective at silencing another someone other than the, how can I phrase this? We are best at silencing ourselves. Those we are always our best silences, you know. Other people are never as effective as we are, so it's a good right. lesson for everybody for sure. All right, so, so Betsy, in, in the book, you, no, yeah, no, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I'm just going no. I'm just gonna say that just to, to sort of cap that off in the book, I um I need to get out from under my uh, husband's influence in order yeah. to find my voice, and tragically he dies at the end of this period. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is was a, a, a bad cancer. <laughs> and I think right. if he had lived, we would have had a different relationship. And that's really right. what the story, the underlying story is about our relationship and how well, it you changed. May have, you may have more stories to tell, Betsy. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised I, <laughs> now that you have. I'm, I'm, well, I'm well into my next one. It's going to be a novel. Right. <laughs> oh, a novel. God, God help you. Okay. So Betsy, first of all, uh, if people want to learn about Betsy Bell, where can they do it? 
I have a website called BetsyBellAuthor.com. Right, and perfect. if it's easier to remember, OpenBordersWithLove.com. Oh, that's nice. Okay. And so, uh, all right. That's good. And so, uh, and, and, and do you have any appearances you might be doing listed on your website? So if people want to see you somewhere, can they do find out there? I, I, yes, I do. I'm going to be out at uh, Third Place Books in Lake Forest Park on the 25th of January. Oh, and I'm going to be in um, the Southwest Library, and it's being, being presented by the um, Log House Museum of West Seattle as a, you know, West Seattle writers, West Seattle authors, and that's on the 14th of February. Both oh, of them are at six o'clock in the in the in the six o'clock in the evening, and I'll have a little slideshow and do some talking and read read from my book, and I hope to see everybody there, in awesome. one or one or both of those places. Excellent. All right, Betsy, I got one more question for you. Although you may have just answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway the way I normally do, which is if writing, just writing, period, not this book, but just all the writing you've done in your full life, if it's taught you anything, if it's taught you Did it cost me anything? Taught, taught. If it taught you anything. Taught me. Did it taught me anything. Yeah. How did it taught me anything? Done? Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. Um, it's, it has taught me how to, let me see, how, how should I say this? It, it has taught me how to see my own life um, as not a jumble of activities, but as, as having meaning yeah. in, 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 along various trajectories. Um, the, the most fun thing about writing memoir or using memoir as a, as a tool for writing a novel yeah. is... Um, you get to think, you get to look at your life from a different from an outside perspective and see what kind of narrative arc what what is your what is the story if you're doing the racial justice story if you're doing the sexual um, predator story if you're doing the anti- activism anti nuclear you can see you learn to see my life I learned to see my life and I learned to see other people's lives in this kind of um, storytelling arc, which I've never understood before, never understood before. And I'm just, I'm loving that process. That is awesome. There's some meaning to it all. We aren't just, it isn't just a bunch of crap that happens to us, Betsy. That's for sure. No. All right. But you know, a a life has to be constructed. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. A lot of people just live. And I think the writer constructs the life. Oh, interesting. They find they find the, the the stepping stones to construct to construct the life. Yeah, we can't be passive is, in it. No, can't be passive. Betsy, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. I enjoyed it. Congratulations. The book is Open thank Borders: you. A Personal Story of Love, Loss, and Anti-War Activism. Good luck with it, Betsy. Thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate the opportunity. No problem. Take it easy. All right, people. Stepping stones is true. You got to be active. Got to take care. Okay, I'm going to be back next week. I think. I think. Let me see. Oh, I should have summoned this up, but I'm going to check my calendar, which is bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. Yes. Oh, Ann Tucker, fascinating woman. That'll be a lot of fun. Yes, it will be. Until then, what you got to do is go out there and do something you love. Life is better when you do. 